You're listening to Creators in Saigon, a podcast based in the rapidly modernizing city of Saigon, Vietnam. I'm Dana, and together with my co-hosts, Tuesi and Nico, we interview the most inspiring creative entrepreneurs Saigon has to offer on topics about life, relationships, creativity, business, health, and more. We are all coaches specializing in different areas, but our common goal is to inspire you to reach your full potential in these areas and improve the quality of your life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to Creators in Saigon. Today you have Dana here, and co-hosting with me is Tuesi. Hello. Hello. And today we are interviewing our guest, Mark Nguyen. Xin chào. <laughs> Hello. So Mark was born and raised in San Diego, California, until he was 12 years old. And from 12 years old until 18, he lived in Naples, Italy, until he returned to the U.S. for university. And he came to Vietnam in 2013, originally as an NGO volunteer with the intent to learn Vietnamese and answer all the questions that he had about his dad's culture. And for the past three years, he focuses his energy on dancing and teaching salsa in Saigon. And he's currently training his first salsa team to perform at a local event in June. Nice. Very mm -hmm. exciting stuff. So welcome, welcome. Yes. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So you spent your early childhood in California and then your teenage years in Italy. So what led you to go to Italy at such a young age? And how do you think this experience has shaped who you are today? My father, he works as an engineer, mm -hmm. and he had many opportunities to go abroad. So I really was just following my dad's work at the time. We spent a couple years in Naples, Italy. Our contract was three years long, and uh, it, it wasn't enough. So my parents decided to stay longer. At 12, I was really reluctant to go. I was in the age of adolescence, just wanted to go to the mall and <laughs> hang out with friends and just, you know, very superficial activities. Mm. I didn't want to go. I didn't know where Italy was. Um, my dad tried to convince us, like, the roads are really nice. It's <laughs> like the roads are paved with volcanic ash. <laughs> you know, he tried to, to make it sound interesting. He did his best. We still didn't like it. But after spending a lot of time there, our identity shifted tremendously. Mm. We had to learn Italian, not had to, but our parents put my brother and I, I have one older brother, okay. maybe I should have mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask you, what's yeah. the we in, uh, in the story? I have one older brother, he's yeah. a year older, mm. and wow. we, we all went over, four of us, mom, dad, uh, my brother, Ivan, and myself. And before going to Italy, I was just this American kid interested in, in girls and malls and nothing really important in life. But after coming back to the U.S. after years, I realized what the shift was. It was only after. Like, there's another world out there. There's another culture out there. Mm -hmm. And I could see myself reflected in, in the differences, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It made me appreciate my life a lot more. Mm -hmm. It made me appreciate what I had 
the ability to travel is something that many, if not most people in the world, they don't have the opportunity to do. My mother's side, Mexican family, they're all in Tijuana or in Southern California, and they've never had the opportunity to travel abroad. Mm. I felt like, whoa, now I have this perspective about two worlds. Like, what are the two worlds like? Neapolitan culture. They're all about food and they're all about coffee and, <laughs> and sociable, mm-hmm. um, very down to earth. Mm-hmm. And I guess in California, I would always, I felt this distance between, between people in the way we interact mm-hmm. in a physical way. People mm-hmm. don't hug as much as yeah. they do in Italy or in Mexico. They kiss two times in Italy, right? Mm-hmm. Upon greeting, upon mm-hmm. leaving. And so I, I got this feeling of, oh, I live in a very connected, physically connected world. And that, I don't know, that developed my, my personality. Mm. I was very extroverted already. And I felt a little bit more welcome into the world. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. started to feel like more distant to me, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. If you that can connect those sense. dots. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. yeah. yeah. You're kind of at the intersection of so many different cultures in your life. You got like the Vietnamese side, Mexican. I feel like there's American, but then California even has its own culture. And I'm sure San Diego even has its own like micro culture within that. So and then you have the uh, nep. What? How do you say it? Nep. Neapolitan. Neapolitan. Yeah. (laughs) Napolitano. Napolitano. Yeah. 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 So it's like microculture within microculture. Did you feel, I guess, more at home living abroad than you did in America? Yeah. Did I feel more, like, uh, comfortable? Yeah, yeah, more comfortable. That's a good one. I have to dig, you know, yeah. for, the, for the emotions at the time that, that, yeah. yes. that were in mm-hmm. flux. I, I can ask you a, a softer question. Mm. Uh, what, what, what happened to your schooling from 12 to 18 when you were in Italy? I went to uh, an American school mm-hmm. yeah. run by the U.S. government on a military base. Okay, I see. Yeah. We lived off of the base in the local area, mm-hmm. but I went to school on, on an American like establishment, okay. and that was not fun. Uh, the more I studied, the more I hated it. Yeah. Or I, I guess that's just, I think that would have happened anywhere. Uh, I just fell out of interest with, with schooling. Mm-hmm. I would say I've developed into such a different person because my school was uh, multicultural. I hung out with everybody, all colors, all socioeconomic statuses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I did feel like I belonged. I did feel like I was home wherever Mm -hmm. I was. And uh, because I grew up in in Naples from 12 at least, I did feel like that was the identity I left with. When I was 18, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can do my own stuff. I can drive now. I can uh, decide what I want what direction I want to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm either Italian or some sort of hybrid yeah. between yeah. not American and something mm-hmm. else. But I, I definitely didn't feel like I was Americanized yeah. as mm-hmm. much. I yeah. Think, yeah. I think that's where I'm, cause I, I want to answer that question too. Like where I felt the most at home. Cause I've traveled in so many countries and I've lived in five different countries. I think I feel the best when I'm in between two chairs where I'm, you know, where like I, I cannot be 
I don't have to choose or I'm, I'm always the, the stranger or the, that's where I actually feel the most home mm-hmm. where I have a bunch of different people from different countries yeah. just chilling. That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's kind of where I was getting at. Cause yeah. it's like, if, if we're all misfits, if we're all not like at home, then we yeah. all are at home. Then we're all you know special. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, yeah. The, that's where I find home most of the you time. You don't feel like you're the yeah. odd one out of the group because yeah. everyone's the odd mm-hmm. one in the group. Yeah. That's exactly right. I would say, um, have you ever read the book Third Culture Child? I think it's no. Someone talks about that. people who grow up in um, like the setting that mm-hmm. that I did, like yeah. between the chairs, between yeah. the cultures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think I wrote something about not in the pre-interview um, mm-hmm. about not enjoying ethnic specific groups on college yeah. campus mm-hmm. when they would advertise for sorority fraternity mm-hmm. and then you had the like latino union and yeah. then etc yeah. yeah i thought that's such a lame reason to get together <laughs> i just as yeah. a, like for the ethnicity like we live in such a melting pot like why are we drawing the lines so hard again yeah. and i do appreciate that people need a home and a place mm-hmm. to feel yeah. like they belong. And then in my case, it was like, no, I belong. I belong. I'm, I'm in the world. Yeah. But, you know, not to be a hypocrite, I did feel like I needed to hang out with a diverse group of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like being different was the, comp- the unifying factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As in, you don't know who you are. I, I do feel that way now that you pointed it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, how did your parents meet? Ah, interesting story. So my father in 1975 was a refugee during the Vietnam War. The year ended. My my family, grandpa, grandma, seven brothers and sisters came to um, California. Mm-hmm. My dad went to university in San Diego at SDSU and he went to a college party in Tijuana. Oh. So he was in college. He went to a college party in TJ, my mother's college, I guess. And he was dating my mom's roommate or something. Mm -hmm. My mom's roommate invited him to this. It was like a homecoming social or some sort of dance Mm -hmm. social. And then he saw my mom said, wow, this woman is so stuck up. She has too much makeup on. (laughs) Didn't like her at all. And then went over later to the roommate's apartment uh, to meet the the roommate i don't know her name <laughs> and my dad saw my mom again no makeup and thought oh this woman is actually quite beautiful i'm narr- narrating something i don't know how to narrate <laughs> and uh <laughs> and that was it i think he at the time it was like a very popular and common to date multiple people at the same time mm-hmm. in the 80s yeah. i guess yeah i'm not really familiar but apparently my dad was like a serial dater (laughs) and he was a very smooth suave like johnny bravo character (laughs) he had hippie long hair and aviator glasses (laughs) and he rode a motorcycle with a leather jacket tight jeans i mean put the whole the whole imagery together and apparently he was a really attractive asian man (laughs) and he got a lot of dates uh, with mexican women i guess um and so uh after many attempts my mom agreed the third time Mm. agreed to marry wow yeah oh my gosh i love love stories (laughs) i could visualize it so your mom is mexican she's mexican like 100 and your dad is 100 100%. 100%. vietnamese okay yeah it's a good mix 
Yeah, so I get the privilege of saying like 50-50. Yeah. 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 At least at least that much is clear about me. <laughs> so you came to Vietnam because you said like you wanted to find the answers about your dad's culture. So does that mean that the Vietnamese part of your culture was kind of a mystery to you? Did your dad not talk about it that much? And were you more aware of your Mexican culture? Yeah, absolutely. It was a huge mystery. Like, why do people yell across the table? A hundred percent of the time is like the volume of, of being scolded. Um, no one's angry. You know, no one's hot tempered. Yeah. That's just volume. <laughs> yeah. That's just yeah. volume. I didn't understand that. So I grew up with like this paranoia. Of, like, <laughs> why are people yelling all the time? <laughs> Who's angry? Yeah. And um, many other, many other things. Like, why does my dad pee with the door open? <laughs> Is that something he just didn't learn? You know, did you grow up in a barn? Did you forget to close the door behind you? That kind of thing. Like, I just wondered because I was being taught. You know, chew with your mouth closed. Mm -hmm. I was being taught to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And why Why are there these other idiosyncrasies my dad maintains? Mm. And my grandma, my grandma, why do they sniff me? Like, you know, they come to <laughs> yeah, yeah. my grandma, grandpa, they, they hold me and then they just... <laughs> yeah. I just learned about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the smell kiss. It's the, it's the smell kiss. Yeah. yeah. So, so many questions. I did identify as being more Mexican because I spoke Spanish as a child and I didn't speak Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. um, I had no Vietnamese friends, zero, just my cousins who also didn't speak Vietnamese, who also currently don't speak Vietnamese. So, mm -hmm. ha, <laughs> yeah, which, which of the grandchildren is the best of Vietnamese? Yeah, the half Mexican one. Yeah, I speak better than all of my cousins. Yeah. I'm just patting myself on the back. Nobody, <laughs> yeah. none of my, yeah, my cousins don't right. care. Yeah. My cousins don't care. Uh, Did your dad learn Spanish as well? My dad spoke fluent Spanish. When wow. I was a kid, he spoke fluently. Yeah. 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 He spoke with everyone in the family in Spanish. Wow. And both my parents knew French as well. So I just live my in like God. a family <laughs> of very multicultural, like polyglots. My yeah. grandpa speaks seven languages. Oh, wow. Oh my He's God. like 90 four now mm. and he studies language for two hours every morning wow. your your yeah. grandpa vietnamese one? vietnamese yeah, grandpa wow. yeah. he's like the modern day confucius <laughs> of the family but to go back to that question about your mother sorry uh i mean what was yeah that? i got lost i'm sorry we're <laughs> I, gonna I have to go too. back to the first no. <laughs> yeah sorry dana is like trying yeah. to keep us on the on no the problem. track yeah i love this stuff. so it, it was like you coming back to vietnam to learn about your dad's culture so like the, the whole mystery about the, the that I guess the Asian part of you. Yeah. So I came back and my dad didn't talk about it. You asked me if, mm -hmm. if my dad uh, shared and he just, mm, he didn't avoid topics about war, pre-war. He, he didn't really seem on edge or I don't know how to call it, but he didn't share very much mm -hmm. with me growing up and uh, didn't attempt to teach me Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. We did at one point, I think I was maybe seven, go to a church and there was like a big Vietnamese community that would go to a Catholic church mm -hmm. and they had lessons for kids. And I just remember holding a pencil and copying what was on the board with the tones and whatnot. 
And the teacher would just la 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 in Vietnamese the instructions, and all the kids were just like, "Yeah, I got this. I'm gonna do it." And my brother and I looking at each other like, "What? <laughs> we're just writing chicken scratch. Like we have no idea. It's just like a math problem, or it's like we're doing art. It was not language study." And then we had a recess to play basketball with the kids or something, or like Foursquare at the time.、Mm-hmm. Just did not. It did not go well. We went one time. And had no idea, so that was like the first and last time we attempted. <laughs>、mm. And the rest of my time growing up, my dad spoke English.、Mm. Apparently, I knew what my grandma was saying. My grandpa, they were babysitting us, so maybe there's something there.、Um, but yeah, only when I came to Vietnam, I had I have a list that I don't know where it is now, but a list of that explains all of my family's habits. Like okay, people yelling at the table, for example. Really.、Um, seven comp, seven people sitting at the table, seven different conversations at the same time. Everyone talking, no one actually like listening to each other. Yeah, it's just now I go back. Right, it's kind of funny. I go back and I can decipher everything. It feels like so liberating to turn on like. The live Google Translate, <laughs> so, and it, it's nonsense. It's pure nonsense. People just—they don't know what they're talking about. They're arguing. It's pure emotion. There's nothing intelligible coming out of my aunts and uncle. They're just, you know, talking about the cards. I don't know. So I really,、uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to now unravel what was happening in the household、mm. after coming to Vietnam. And just knowing or realizing, like this is how people are. This is their culture. People don't have a sense of personal space, and that was something in America. We're like, hey man, get in line, get、yeah. in line. Also,、mm. keep like an elbow's distance away from me. It doesn't matter if it's COVID or not. Yeah, don't come near me. And I had this. Not, I don't know paranoia. Maybe that's what it is. Italy is the same. But Vietnam, for sure, you get bumped in the market. You get bumped like you're、yeah. standing. No one's around you. Ten meters,、yeah. you know, Nguyenhue Street. Boom, you get bumped. What?、Yeah. Do not see me standing right here.、Yeah. A lot of my preconceptions, a lot of my habits. Yeah, there's too many to count. You know,、mm-hmm. like it's just a culture that you are exposed to, and over time, you get to like compare notes. Yeah. Yeah. So I become less reactive. I'm sure Dana, you you told me you had like a sort of a homesickness slash fed up、mm-hmm. frustration with all of the like Vietnamese isms,、mm-hmm. and me too. Like, oh,、mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to just like give up, go back, just for the feeling of being foreign.、Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I'm trying to learn Vietnamese, but culturally, I just don't fit sometimes.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I want a hamburger. <laughs> That's what I want. Yeah, I want a freaking pizza.、Yeah. I want a Neapolitan pizza. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's expensive. Or I just, or <laughs>、yeah. I just want to like walk on the street and not worry about being hit or like、yeah. bumped into. Yeah. Walking, Absolutely. Walking. We were talking walking, about this、yeah. in, the, in one episode. Like I, that's one of the things that I miss the most in Vietnam is just walk. You, you're always on a bike and you just go from point A to point B and you don't take the time. Every time I slow down on a bike, just because I want to check out a shop, just passing by, and my girl is like, "What's going on? <laughs> Why are you slowing down?" And I'm like, "I just want to check out that." <laughs> it's, like, it's a lot of culture shocks.、Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But so my my question to go deeper on in your、uh, in your because 
So like growing up, usually when you're a mixed kid or uh, or even like a, the kid of a second generation immigrant, mm-hmm. you go through uh, some type of identity crisis. I feel like you with with actually moving to Europe, and then just when when did you come to Vietnam? 2013. I was 23. 23. So you you came to Vietnam at 23. Where were you in that? Because you must have had an identity crisis at some point. Every kid that I know that is mixed or anything like this goes through that. And how did you deal with it? Mm. I didn't feel like this angst. I felt more like existential angst mm-hmm. versus identity yeah, yeah. angst. Um, but it depended on the group I was with that would make me feel more or less one or the other. Yeah. So I guess I was just morphing and tr- like I was trying to just fit in. But not in the sense like fit and be the same, but more like when I was hanging out with Filipinos, I was the Mexican kid. <laughs> when I was hanging out with Mexicans, I was like more Asian. Mm. I did feel uncomfortable. Like which which one do I identify with more? And mm-hmm. it came down to language. Language was the um, the reason I felt uncomfortable. I could speak English, so therefore mm-hmm. I can tell you I'm American with confidence. Mm-hmm. Like I'm from the U, I'm from California, San Diego. Mm-hmm. I can say that and have no qualms. And then I'd be like, "Yo soy mexicano, <laughs> mi madre es de México," <laughs> and then be like, "Oh shit, I can't." You know, if you start to speak to me in depth, like talk to me about psychology, I will like freeze. I'll like clammy hands, mm-hmm. and and I suddenly I'm not Mexican enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Vietnamese came around like I can't say a damn thing. <laughs> I can't say "cảm ơn." I can't yeah. say "thank you." When I was uh-huh. until I was 23, I couldn't properly say my my last name mm-hmm. Nguyen. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's like three vowels and a tone, and like this weird ng at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I could not say it. It was always like, do you know the baseball player Tony Gwynn? Gwynn spelled G-W-Y-N-N. Gwyn. So when I would tell people how to say my name, it was Mark Gwyn. Like, mm. Mm, Gwyn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to butcher it anymore. There's so many ways to butcher that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, when I started to realize like, hey, you don't, um, you can't really identify with your Vietnamese side. It's time to learn Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. And I felt that so hard that incompleteness that confusion mm. that i came to vietnam like that was the reason i came because oh, i had too many questions yeah, yeah. about culture but also about language yeah. and yeah those two are related those are yeah. interconnected mm-hmm. um and so if i i thought if i could learn the language i could get into the culture easier mm-hmm. and of course that's true it just takes a lot of time so it's almost eight years in now like what's the, what's the answer to who To you, this whole thing are you vietnamese enough for yourself do you feel complete <laughs> oh man yeah i gave up on the sort of like you have to be this thing that you're not mm-hmm. you got to know everything there is about both sides <laughs> and also you're american too so i guess it's it's not really in the forefront of my consciousness my yeah. awareness i don't really feel anything mm-hmm. when it comes to ethnicity yeah. right it's only like these conversations that make me really unravel it again mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah here uh when the cop stops me i'm american i speak english <laughs> uh, right away um, but in general I, i'm just trying to be respectful and, and aware of culture mm-hmm. in general like yeah. i'm in vietnam so 
not to be like the loud American, mm-hmm. not to be sort of, I have to be conscious of my privilege here yeah. because I do have like an American passport. That means a lot in most places in the world. So I do feel like I have this privilege in terms of my birthright mm-hmm. to have like a, this American passport. Mm-hmm. But otherwise I feel pretty comfortable. I feel like I treat everybody initially with like, this level of respect, like mm-hmm. no matter your socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. I love talking to s- fruit sellers. That's how I learned Vietnamese. To the to the guy selling me coffee, to the guy repairing my tire. Yeah. And um, yeah, I do feel like I belong at the ground level. That's mm-hmm. where I feel comfortable. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like th- that, that's, yeah. that's how I feel these days. Having very very insignificant or trivial conversations with strangers Mm. Uh, i love that so how do you explain it like every time you meet someone Mm -hmm. new they must have like that question mark on their forehead so what's your spiel now about that like if someone asks you yeah yeah, it's like one of three questions yeah Yeah. um i'll say um yeah i was born in san diego i say sometimes california Mm -hmm. because that's like you said, it's like a microculture within mm-hmm. a within the U.S. It's huge. You can't just mm-hmm. say yeah. like I'm American. Yeah. So I tried to say a little more specifically, I'm from California. It's put put me on the West Coast, and then um, my dad is from Vietnam. My mom's from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it. I let people okay. infer because I I just say where my dad's from. He's yeah. from Vietnam. Where's my mom? She's from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I'm from California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. Okay. That's it. Yeah. You that's package pa- it up like this. I package yeah. it up. And then the yeah. rest is like, oh, it's a long story, man. I, <laughs> I lived in Italy. I've, now I'm here. Yeah, like, yeah. what? Do you, what do you want to know? Yeah. Depending if you like the person in front of you, like, uh, I, I can go into that conversation or not. Yeah. Or, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Especially if I'm talking to another Vicky person, mm-hmm. it's, it's another story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yourself, right? Yeah. You have a specific story. Uh, yeah. Uh, that ties you back to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... It's, it's very yeah. interesting to, to, to meet profile like you actually like, I, cause like it's the mix, the mix makes it more interesting. I feel like, cause I've met so many videos that are just like me, like, you know, French, Vietnamese. And mm. so that, that, that uh, every time I have that discussion about, you know, how did you deal with being between two chairs for you? There is that added degree of like being actually a mixed kids of like two different cultures. But I feel like in the formula that I had for me uh, dealing with my own identity crisis, because uh, you were very right. It makes me think like right now, <laughs> where, where like, you know, it was really much people that were like, you, growing up in France, like people were like, you're Chinese because they didn't see the difference between, mm-hmm. they didn't even know the word Asian, like, you know, and mm. they were like, you're Chinese. And I would come to Vietnam and people would like speak to me in English because they would think I was, I was American because I was the fat kid when I was a kid. I was, you know, a little fat. So you're probably American, you, you, you know. <laughs> and so when I was 18, I was in this big, like, dilemma. I was like, oh, what am I, you know, and all this this thing. And it took me, like, years to, like, just decide at some point. I think when I was, like, 24, um, to, to decide that I'm going to be whichever culture I want to be whenever it's the best fitting for me. So <laughs> when it's the World Cup, I'm definitely French for soccer. <laughs> oh, nice. When, I didn't when, consider that. Yeah. yeah. When, when, there's, when we're talking about good food, I'm whether French or, or Vietnamese, where if we're talking about like, you know, the most beautiful country that I'm, 
French or Vietnamese, depending, like, you know, and mm. if people are like, but you're not Vietnamese, I'm like, yo, fuck off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know look at, look I at my family name. Can you say it? I can say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be, whenever it's, you know, fitting for me and whenever it's like, it brings me like good stuff, I'll be that country, you know? And then, mm-hmm. so now, but sometimes I, I don't say I'm French or anything. I just say I'm Canadian. Like, you know, it's, it makes it easier. Mm-hmm. And I choose. Yeah. So that's how I, I deal with it. And I feel like that's why I I wanted to. Yes, see, I like to see you know uh, you know when we're in that profile. What's your? How did you answer to all of that? And the way you see it is is very beautiful too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So can I ask like a sensitive question? Go ahead. I mean, because maybe they called you like this fat American kid, or people would place you like without even asking your your opinion like you're the chinese kid just by friends by, yeah, uh, yeah. convenience mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. not to say people have yeah. all people have bad intentions to profile you mm-hmm. and by profiling you they they, yeah. they I, are trying not to understand yeah, yeah right yeah. more deeply I, my they do the one story that i say most of the time about me growing up in france France and England are the birthplace of racism. <laughs> really, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where it's I'm like, heading you know, colonial, exactly yeah. is like where colonial, you're being colonial uh, mentality yeah. is the like the birthplace is France and and England. <laughs> so me growing up in France was like, you know, you're not. Uh, but my father, when he came to France, they weren't even call him Chinese. There was a word at that point. It was anamite. It was like it was like kind of a insect. That's oh. how they would call it. Colonial French people, they would call the, the Vietnamese people. Oh like, you know, it was the N-word for Vietnamese. Oh. And so that's what he was called most of his, like, you know, uh, in the 70s when he was mm-hmm. in Paris. Then when I grew up, I was obviously Chinese. And then when in the teen years, the way that uh, people would resolve uh, arguments with me, French people in general, was like, you don't have a word to say because you have a... Uh, you have a small dick. <laughs> that oh was literally that, like the the argument that I would have my whole childhood. Like, shut up! You have a small dick, yeah. and like you know, because you're that Asian, was the end. You know, all like, oh, I'm gonna lose this argument. You have a small yeah. dick, and then they run away. It, it's like they, they didn't like yeah. So and and like when you when you're a teenager, and the only thing that you want is to express your opinions, just to exist, and you just get that all the time. You're like, and you're not about to like just put your pants down and be like you know because. <laughs> You know, sometimes it's it can be yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, yeah, no, I'm not going to pull my pants down. But it uh, conditioned me so much in my in my 20s to go like date black girls and and try to prove something to myself. And like it was like a very oh interesting. yeah, you yeah. like respond to that specifically. It, it like, was very. I'm going to show you guys. Uh, yeah, well, like I and I didn't realize it until I in my 30s until I, I had to go through like you know my inner work through addiction and everything. And I look back at my whole life and I was like was so driven to prove something based on those words you know because mm-hmm. i couldn't exist when i was a kid absolutely you know, and, it, and it was just a uh, triggering so much mm. and i'm like anyway that's those yeah, are man, different man. discussion yeah man <laughs> but yes like, it's yes a, especially when you're a teen like and every time i say that this was a big problem uh, in my 30s i remember i said like yeah actually i didn't realize how much of a problem it was that people were kept on joking about the size of my dick you know and, <laughs> and, and exactly the reaction you, and when you hear this you can you cannot not laugh because it's such a yeah it's such yeah, a, yeah oh shit like you know it's cute cannot but like it's it was such a huge thing and a lot of people mm-hmm. that i know that are vicky or growing up in like white countries when they come to vietnam you know like you can see that they're driven by this too like you know this this desire to be wanted desired mm. or appreciated seen like you know to exist you know and you you have this whole yes that brings them something absolutely yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's a sensitive yeah. issue. But, oh, I, have, um, I have many more of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can appreciate that. Yeah, so I want to learn more about your dancing now. So I'm curious, how did you get into this Latin dancing? Yeah, I think I was in university and I saw this community dancing on the street. And every Thursday, they call it the Salsa Society at UCLA. They gather from around 6.30 until whenever, sometimes 10, 11. People just bring a speaker and they plug it into their iPod at the time. Mm-hmm. And the iPod is handed down to the next generation, like the one iPod with the one playlist of like 50 songs. So it's not like, you know, extensive. There's no like cover, there's no lights or the sound system isn't, yeah. But it's it's a community, right? And they're very open to recruitment. That is to say, if people come by and say, like, what is this? Someone will show you. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, no, we're here to show off. Mm-hmm. Somebody will show you. So long story short, I was a college roommate with one of the the leaders of that society, the guy with the iPod <laughs> and the speaker. He became my roommate. Ah. That is, it's such a weird coincidence that that happened because I would pass by, I'd see this club and he was my roommate for a while, like six months until I, before I knew he was a dancer. He's this white, very skinny, what's up, Devin? (laughs) He's this uh, very nerdy, yeah, scrawny white guy from Hemet, California. Shout out to Hemet. Yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. You don't want to go there. Um, yeah, it's just desert and nothing. Yeah, who cares? Shout out, ever. Yeah. yeah, shout out to Devin, but don't go there. <laughs> no, I love Devin. We still we still talk like weekly. So, uh, yeah, Devin introduced me to this salsa society. I even he would even tell me like, yeah, I'm a dancer. I'm preparing for a show, and I would just laugh like, you don't dance. You can't dance. I haven't seen you dance um, until one day I saw him at the thing. I said, what? You're serious? This is you? This is your group? Like I didn't understand what salsa was. And so I asked him, like, please show me here. Please show me the way. Like, I was bowing down to him. And, yeah, he agreed. He said, okay, yeah, come by every Thursday. I'll show you. He agreed to teach me as long as I taught him yoga. At the time, I was practicing yoga. I was getting certified as an instructor mm-hmm. to hopefully pursue that as, like, as like a job, as a, as a career. At the time, both of us were majoring in philosophy, so... Uh, my bets were on yoga. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how am I going to eat? So yoga was my thing. Uh, we exchanged for like three to six months. I paid for his yoga. I said like, hey, you're going to go to yoga, but you have to teach me salsa. After like six months, I was addicted. I went to dance five times a week. I would like skip class or show up late mm-hmm. or just like forget about homework. My grades were declining. Mm-hmm. I managed to graduate. Thank you, mom and dad, for your support <laughs> all these years. Uh, with the bachelor's in philosophy. Um, but salsa was on the brain. Yoga, salsa, learning Vietnamese. I just had so many things I wanted to explore. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, do, capital D, capital yeah. O. Yeah. Who knows when you're 21, 23 even. So it got to the point where now, now I've been dancing for like 9, 10 years. And people would ask me to teach them. And I didn't think about it. I just thought... No, I mean, I just dance. I just dance socially. I dance in front of the mirror. I didn't stop dancing when I came to Vietnam. It was like two years prior to coming to Vietnam, I was dancing in the U.S. And I continued. And then people kept asking me. I moved to Vung Tau. Vung Tau. And um, 
I had friends like, oh, you dance? Can you show me? Where is there a place to dance in Vungtau? And there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing in Vungtau. <laughs> yeah, it's as useless as Hemet. Um, yeah, in terms of nightlife, in terms of, yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to, uh, you know, start a Latin dance culture. Yeah. So it was only for the sake of people who asked me to do it for them. And it was like free at the time. Um, I thought there's, there may be something here. Like I could, I could probably pursue this as like a, a part-time thing or because I enjoy it so much. Like why not? Yeah. Why not start a class formally mm -hmm. to teach Vietnamese people or whoever wants to learn. Mm -hmm. And now it's been three years of like really intense focusing and trying to support myself. Mm. COVID is a thing. COVID is a wrench in the plan. Mm -hmm. yeah. What was it about this? style of dance do you think that really got your heart mm. i thought it was prob i didn't know at the time but it was the easiest easiest thing to learn salsa is one of the easiest dances to learn really yes mm. and I, i don't know if, i i don't know if i if that's true but that's my feeling mm. because after salsa it was like a gateway like All the world of dance was open to me. I could learn hip hop. I could learn another Latin dance. Bachata was very mm -hmm. closely related mm -hmm. in the community, not in terms of like the dancing, but mm -hmm. salsa and bachata, they go together um, in terms of when you have a party. I went to a club after six months for the first time and saw so many amazing dancers. Mm -hmm. I, I thought I was ready for the club, not, not in any like professional capacity, just mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm ready to go to the club. Mm -hmm. And then I saw all these people dancing so well, so fluidly, so mm -hmm. effortlessly, dripping beads of sweat, smiling the whole time, like everyone's, everyone's smiling, knowing each other. Mm -hmm. And I thought, damn, like, I just found out about this world. Like, it's like mm -hmm. an underground, like, speakeasy. Mm -hmm. You know, you go in, you open the curtain, you mm -hmm. go through a kitchen and an alleyway, <laughs> and then the world, like, opens up to mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. It's like all glitter and, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, after a certain salsa. point, everything was about salsa. I went mm -hmm. shopping and I thought, can I dance in this? Mm. Everything changed. My mentality about life changed. Mm -hmm. I stopped drinking alcohol mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of salsa. So in college, what's the most fun thing to do? Mm. Yep. Get really drunk and not <laughs> rem remember what happened that <laughs> night. So after I learned salsa, I realized people don't drink. People need to, to spin and dance and be conscious of what they're doing <laughs> yeah. and not be total slobs and like tripping over everything. <laughs> and no, you actually have to be there for mm -hmm. the other person. And, um, you know, maybe there's like this culture of Latino men kind of being slimy. And there is that. There's still, there's still, we are still human beings. Mm -hmm. We're not, yeah, perfect creatures. So there's still like debauchery going on on the salsa dance floor. But one of the things, yeah, one of the things that wasn't so apparent was drinking. And I thought, whoa, I don't need to drink to have fun anymore. I can have a party. But guess what? Like when you drink and dance, it's, three times better because like everyone <laughs> understands like we're here to dance mm -hmm. right we're not here to drink we're here to dance we're here to have fun mm -hmm. and smile laugh hoo hoo ha ha mm -hmm. and so you throw in alcohol and that makes it a little more fun mm -hmm. but the the focus is the you know the movement yeah and there's mm -hmm. something liberating like you get into this trance mm -hmm. um, maybe the dancers out there understand after a prolonged period of time it's almost like a runner's high mm -hmm. but it's like 
it's motivated by the the sound as well it's motivated by the music of yeah. course um, which is very repetitive it's a reason why people don't like uh, latin music sometimes like oh mm -hmm. i hear this song like despacito every single song is like <laughs> that yeah, yeah. which is true because like there's a formula for that <laughs> and so i realized that like there's a formula oh like i should i should lean into that mm -hmm. i should you know what is that formula what is the clave Like, what is, you know, what is the percussion doing? Yeah. So after learning, after diving a little more, asking more questions about music, then I got more addicted. Something I've noticed in general with music and dancing, this is not a theory that I have confirmed, but it's just something that I've noticed. And I'm wondering if other people have noticed that certain music and certain beats make different parts of your body move so i feel like with more latin music it's very like in the hips mostly mm. and then with hip-hop i feel it more in my chest and like my shoulders maybe and then jazz i would say you're kind of like tapping your foot it's more like tapping and then the techno is like you're more like jumping it's the head it's more like head. yeah maybe like head and and legs and feet yeah. you're like jumping and rock and roll music you want to like pump your fist <laughs> this is Very beautiful usual. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i've never seen it like this it's, yeah you've, you've seen her dance oh no no no, no. Can, can we take a pause and watch dana dance <laughs> no <laughs> don't be fooled she has moves <laughs> yeah yeah i don't doubt it i don't doubt it she has all of the moves like, has, like planned for each music yeah 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 yeah, yeah. the first yeah. time or maps mapped out <laughs> yeah yeah i wonder if there's like a science i'm sure there is some kind of science behind that maybe frequencies mm -hmm. maybe related to that mm -hmm. when you were talking about the drums it's probably like you know they It's like we're, we 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 act on vibration and like frequencies and yeah. like, you know you're attracted to those uh, to those vibrations yes. and it's in it our DNA you, it's in yeah. our genetics. It's, um, I had a piano teacher who told me this and I don't know how to confirm this, but <laughs> yeah. he's not talking you know just for for show. He was yeah. saying before speech, the way we communicated was through singing or like tones, mm -hmm. like oh ooh, ooh, ah, ah, like mm -hmm. monkeys, yeah. I guess, yeah. um, primates, and then before that. It was music mm -hmm. through like like beat rhythm, like maybe like Morse code, so to speak. Mm. Um, I'm now not doing it justice, the explanation, but I do feel like yeah, music is more primal. It's more immediately yeah. Yeah. understood or or comprehensible than speeches, mm -hmm. and that's why I think you can take a salsa dancer from Peru and go to Russia and dance the same music, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm we can learn that language easier. We can transpose it across cultures easier than language. Mm -hmm. So it's something about dancing and rhythm that we can understand more immediately. And I think there's something to your theory. It's like it's, it's in our blood. It, there's mm -hmm. something clear that makes us want to do. Yeah. So I want to jump to the story that you shared in the, in the form where towards the end of October last year, mm. you had broken your collarbone uh, running in the sand dunes in Wiene. And you said at that point, it was kind of looking like maybe this dancing career <laughs> is coming to an end and <laughs> it kind of spiraled <laughs> from there. So can you can you share that story with the audience? Yeah. So last October, uh, we had this 
Latin dance event in Muine. It was called the Saigon Latin Beach Festival, no. and it's, yeah, it's happening again this year. Yeah. In um, Muine again? <laughs> in in, uh, in Vungtao again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Anlong uh, organizer, uh, hardworking all the time. So. I was preparing for this festival. It was my first solo dance performance. Like up to date, it was the most important thing. I told myself like, uh, it's the only thing worth living for, so to speak. Like the only thing that I think has has meaning in my life at that time. And it was COVID, deep into COVID season already. People are pretty exhausted with, um, you know, all the restrictions in place and not being able to operate as usual so i took the opportunity to practice every day as many as many hours as i could and on average it was like three hours four hours up until the event it was like six hours wow. a night and i would be like in vinholms park under a gazebo and then the last people would be like the security guards and me <laughs> and and the last day uh, I had my costume on. I was running it. It was like a Friday before the show. And these two guys are like, hey, man, you got you got to go. And I'm like, please, man, look at me. Look how stressed I am. Like, this is everything to me. <laughs> I literally said, like, look at me. I'm so stressed. And that's what I said to them. That was my reason. And I said, please let me, like, just 30 more minutes. Like, I'm not done with this choreo. Like, I was, you know, wow, I, okay, I was yeah. still hashing it out. Like, that was my process. Like, just do it. Just do it as many times as you can to the same song. Just, like, repetition, repetition, repetition. Mm -hmm. And so they both knew me that I've been practicing there every day, every night for like a month. Literally every day in October, I practiced there. These are the security guards? The security guards, guards yeah. you know. The security would rotate. But they saw me. They said, man, just let this guy practice. And they left. And I thought, wow, like, they really... <laughs> at that point, I, I felt respected. I felt like <laughs> I put in the work that they didn't argue at all. They, like, they came by, but then they, le they left after I begged them. <laughs> and so I did the thing. Uh, I gave it my heart, my whole... 120% of my, my effort. I was crying like every other day that month mm -hmm. because I was just like in pain and also euphoric. Also like, what is this life? Um, just crying. <laughs> um, tears of joy, tears of exhaustion. Like mm. it's such an emotional period of last year. And then I did the show, right? Show's over. And I hung out for a day in Muine because I didn't want to go back immediately. Mm -hmm. I decided to go to the sand dunes. My friend Rosa, what's up, Rosa? She said, Mark, I'll take your photo. Mark, do something on the dune. Go do something. And she said, now it's a video. Mark, run, run. And I said, okay. Or she said, do something. So I started to run as fast as I could down the sand dune, like Naruto, because it was like the perfect opportunity. So I was just like doing like ninja moves, Bruce Lee things, like crouching tiger, uh, karate kid postures. And so I started running. And then I get to the bottom of the sand dune and I tripped on like compact sand, which I wasn't aware of. I was just running full speed. I thought, it's all good. I'll just do a ninja roll forward. And then boom, crack. You know, I was just like immobile for a, for a couple seconds and I didn't know it was broken. So after that, I checked it out. It was broken and I was hospitalized. I was uh, bedridden for several weeks. And in that time, I thought, it's over. 
Mm. I'm not I'm not going to do this again. The doctor said six months. And to me, like, Whoa. he said three to six months. But to me, it was like eternity. When you're doing <laughs> something, you, you find meaning yeah. for so long. Every day, three to six hours, every day. Like, that's your that's your passion. That's your sole purpose in life. And there's a lot, there's a lot happening under the cover there. Like, why do I need to push myself so hard? Why do I need to prove myself? Who am I trying to prove myself to, mm-hmm. etc.? And that was, yeah, one of the darkest times of, of 2020, like back to back darkness, like, mm-hmm. hey, no more dancing. Hey, you can't even teach dancing. Hey, you can't even practice in the park. What are you going to do now? Just trying your best. But the the conditions keep changing, you know, mm-hmm. not to say like the universe is out to get me because everyone's facing the COVID. Uh, the COVID. Yeah. So I suffered through a lot of negative self-talk like you're not going to be able to do this again just regular realizations when you're in a bed hospitalized Mm -hmm. i was in i was in delusion as well like no you can you can dance in like three weeks it's okay you have to like you have to you're Mm -hmm. gonna go i went to the park after two weeks and then i had like my first panic attack Mm. because i was under a lot of painkillers and I couldn't feel pain at all. Mm-hmm. But my shoulder wasn't healed. Shoulders don't heal. Broke, broken bones don't heal in two weeks, you guys. Let me tell you. So something deep inside of my body was telling me that I was in pain. Something deeper than pain, but like a signal. And so my body stopped frozen. And I just had this panic attack. I had to call my friends to pick me up. Like, uh, take me to the hospital or just like sit here with me. Uh, I called my girlfriend at the time. Like, just sit here and just stare at me and tell me I'm okay. Wow. And that happened like three to four times before I had to see a therapist. Um, Just sitting in my bed, thinking about nothing. 9 p.m. rolls around. I didn't dance that day. Instant stress. Like, you're going to go to bed, but you didn't dance today. Mm. There's so much pent-up energy in you, but you're not going to be able to do this. And you're unemployed. Your your money savings is just going down, going down. Of course, I have support from family. People aren't going to let me starve. But, um, yeah, just all those thoughts flooding in at one time. So, oh, man, such transformation has to occur when you face such darkness and such change. So I saw a therapist. I went to meditation weekly. I started to find joy in little things. And now I am a lot more patient. (laughs) I'm a lot more conscious of my body. Uh Like I would have these scabs under my toes, like just bleeding out. Mm -hmm. And I'm still dancing barefoot in the park. Like I don't care. I'll wrap it up. I'll dance. Mm -hmm. If any pain is occurring in my body, I'll just drive through it. Like I'm some Olympian, like training Mm -hmm. for what? That's It was that serious to me at Mm -hmm. the time. I have to prove myself. Like, what are you doing? You're 30. You're not a millionaire. You're nothing. Yeah. I'm sure we all have these like 30 year old sort of realizations. Like, I'm not enough. I'm not doing shit. You know, I still have to ask my parents if I'm poor right now. Like, please give me money. That's like shameful, right? Shame on you. Mm. You're, you're an adult. Shame on you. But no, man, we're still unraveling the shit <laughs> that we, we didn't um, get to when we were like early 20s or teenagers, right? Uh, so now I'm starting to unravel it. Now I'm starting to slow down. And that's my message to everybody out there is, is slow down. Uh, dancing is not everything in my life. It's important. But I don't die for it. I'm not going to die for it. Now I need to consider health as the priority Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I learned a lot from that broken bone. I didn't realize I would learn from it. I thought it was a nightmare, but you have to change.、Mm-hmm. You know, it's not even like you want to change. You have to change considering your circumstances. So I'm grateful now to have gone through that process. And be alive,、mm-hmm. like damn, I'm alive.、Mm-hmm. Damn, this is nice.、Uh, so now I'm dancing again. Yeah, socials were open for a time.、Uh, I teach salsa. I have a team,、uh, five dedicated individuals that practice with me three times a week, sometimes more.、Mm-hmm. We practice on off days as well. So yeah, I can't be happier for the tiny victories、mm-hmm. that we get, you know, in the time of COVID. Do, do you、yeah. feel now that you're you're now bringing back salsa in your life more as a passion again? Like that's something that is fulfilling you more so that is because you were feel you were full, but that not being enough type of thing that you're wanting to prove. And so, do you feel、yeah. like now it's, it's coming back into your life in a in a more beneficial、yeah. way? Absolutely,、um, my teacher. Shout out to Jimmy Yoon. <laughs> Jimmy Yoon. I love all these shoutouts. Yeah, two three nine boys. Hashtag two three nine boys. Yeah, you know, Saigon Latin Cup, June twentieth, twenty twenty one, June twentieth, Saigon Latin Cup,、uh, Hard Rock Cafe. Can people、uh, buy tickets to go? Watch? Oh yeah, I'm sure you can. I'm sure. Oh yeah, you can buy tickets. Oh yes, please come watch.、Oh, yes. Please, there's a Jack and、We're、Jill、coming. competition. Yeah, I'll tell you guys. I'll put it in the show notes. Yes.、Uh, as if I can do that. Yeah, I'll tell you. You guys, your your question is yeah, it's a great question.、Uh, so I shifted my、um, how do you say my process. I used to think this is about me,、mm-hmm. um, very self centered person.、Um, this is about me. I got to show you my skills, show you how I can do it. Look at me, I'm good enough. But you know, Jimmy taught me that my purpose, my job, or he at least encouraged me to start a team and to start raising like. "Quote unquote," an army of dancers,、mm. and now I feel like, yeah, that is my responsibility. It has、mm. been my responsibility since I started dancing is to recruit and to grow and to share. Yeah, and it's not for the sake of anything except for it's almost like a duty of a dancer. When you have this ability, then it's your duty to share it, right? Like, what、mm. do you? What good is a dancer? Indoors, locked up, and you know what I mean. Like, what good is an artist who doesn't show their art?、Yeah. So now I think of myself more as like a family member versus a object to be like like a model. Like before,、mm-hmm. I was like, hey, look, I'm a model. Watch me, but you know, I'll give it to you in pieces. But I'm not ready to share it with you. But that's all about ego and some sort of excuse, like not having self confidence to、mm-hmm. show someone. Mm-hmm. Maybe I felt like I'm actually not good enough. I want to get better. I want to continue learning. I'm a student. I'm a student. I'm a student. But it's well past that point. I think you don't just like open a salsa class, teach some moves, and then go home and sleep. It's like okay, really watch this person and and give them feedback. When you go dancing, watch who's sitting. Watch the students、mm-hmm. who are kind of shy. Like encourage them because it's a group effort. Like how did I learn to dance? It was in a group. It was not alone. I had Devin. Shout out to what's up, Devin. <laughs>、um, I had friends, and we'd ha- we'd have exclusive sort of parties to dance and develop our、mm-hmm. enjoyment. It's like you develop how to have fun,、mm-hmm. and I can't stress that enough. It's like it's all about enjoyment.、Mm-hmm. So thinking about that, how do I help others enjoy?
mm-hmm. right? Not just like watch me. This is how you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Watch me do it. Mm-hmm. No, like really, like take care of the people who support you. And I think I neglected that part of my role for a long time. I taught since like 25 years old, but I didn't appreciate it enough. Like, nice. yeah, I'm the teacher. You have to come to me to learn. <laughs> but I didn't really appreciate like. You guys are here to learn from me. Whoa! Like, <laughs> oh damn! Like, I'm fortunate. Like, mm. I have somebody that really that came to me that drove mm-hmm. from D7 to this park, and is like willing to put up with me for like an hour, hour and a half sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And wow, I'm I'm really grateful to you guys. And so now I feel like after the injury, that's what that changed yeah, a lot. Yeah. My ego was just like defeated <laughs> uh, like ego death yeah, yeah i still have it it's still there but it's, it's always gonna be there you know man and you do know. you think this putting more attention on the people that you are sort of raising helps you maintain a higher level of self-care than before because if you're not taking care of yourself then you're gonna let those people down mm. Yeah, absolutely. It goes both ways, right? The way you treat or the way you do one thing is the way you do everything, Mm -hmm. uh, as the saying goes. So the more I treat myself with care, the more that is I practice care. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how much time do you dedicate to caring about something or like watering a plant or, you know, cleaning your room? Everything has this sort of ripple effect. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is the word we use Mm -hmm. these days, right? If you do anything mindfully, you can consider that like good. Mm -hmm. So do I practice mindfully? Do I I treat myself mindfully Mm -hmm. in all regards Mm -hmm. when it comes to my physical health, when it comes to my schedule, treating people with respect in terms of time, you know, showing up on time. I used to disregard it as like, nah, time is nothing. Time doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but no, it does. That's pretty, it's a real say. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it definitely bleeds into mm-hmm. treating my students and other people with the same care. Mm-hmm. If you practice mindfully doing one thing, you can do anything mindfully. You can eat mindfully. You can walk mindfully. You can listen to music mindfully yeah. uh, as long as you're, you know, totally immersed into that activity. So I try to, it's not easy to practice, right? To the viewers, it's not just like a switch you turn on. Yeah. It's very much a daily habit you must cultivate. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I cultivate meditation. I tried Kung Fu for a while when I was injured and I couldn't dance because it's slightly slower mm-hmm. than shimmying your shoulders mm-hmm. back and forth. <laughs> But yeah, I hope that answers your question about yeah. Yeah, treating people. For sure. So you're currently practicing for the Saigon Latin Cup, it's called, right? In Vumtau. Saigon Latin Cup. Oh, that's in Saigon. Saigon. Oh, it's a local. Vumtau is Saigon Latin Beach Fiesta. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Bad, we'll put bad. all the links, yo. Yes. Everyone's going to be happy about this. I'm just going to promote all the links. Um, Saigon Latin Cup is, is hosted by my teacher, Jimmy Yoon. Mm-hmm. It's going to include a Jack and Jill competition. So couples are, yeah, <laughs> randomly paired couples oh dancing God. to a random song that is unrehearsed. 
So it's totally social dancing improvisation. Oh, wow. So it's, it's like testing a rap battle. Yes, rap yeah, battle. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a yeah. hip hop battle, right? Yeah. But instead of one on one, it's, yeah, it's you know couples. Wow, yeah. that sounds so difficult. You got a number. Oh, wow. Yeah, Whoa. you go through a heat, three heats. First heat, first partner, second heat, and Whoa. there's judges. I will be a judge for the bachata portion mm. of the competition, and then of course shows. Mm -hmm. So you get to enjoy the local teams because we can't invite. By international artists quite yet or people from Hanoi uh, so it's just Saigon people and it's a great opportunity for all the local studios to come together and show their their wares I'm excited yeah when, when is this this is going to be well the tentative date is 20th of June okay it was 6th of June oh. but now that we have the yeah. new cases yeah mm -hmm. It's being pushed, and I think it will be pushed to July. But um, considering, yeah. yeah, but the event will the event will be updated mm -hmm. as needed. We we like to ask this to guests if there is anything that you sort of want to ask the universe or put out into the universe, or if there's any help that you are looking for that maybe if someone in the audience was listening, uh, they're like, oh, I have I can help. Is there anything that oh. comes to mind there? This mic is directly connected to the universe. <laughs> yes. yes. So whatever you're going to ask. I feel that. All, your, all dreams can be answered. Man, help. I need so much help. <laughs> yeah. You know, something I guess I, I struggle with is finding the value in, in my time. Like, especially now, right? Something everyone can relate to maybe is being... Uh, restricted in a, in a physical way can't can't leave your house or can't eat at the restaurant you normally eat so i struggle with like finding these alternatives um and spending time alone mm -hmm. so i spent a lot of time alone during my injury period i do thank my friends for coming to support me in that time but in general you know we live alone we're mm. we're we exist kind of kind of um independently right it's up to us to find meaning in our life mm -hmm. not to be too heavy but that's mm -hmm. kind of that's how i feel these days yeah. um so yeah I, i i want to understand like maybe it's more about practice but how do you find value in doing nothing like mm -hmm. Um, what should I be doing? That's my question since a teenager. What should I be doing if I'm not doing X, Y, Z? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And that question sometimes haunts me. Mm. It's easier to not address it or it's easier to think. It's not about doing, man. It's, it's chill, bro. It's just <laughs> like smoke a J and like <laughs> chill the fuck out. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just confused most of the time about <laughs> what it is we're supposed to be doing. And I, I try to uh, not criticize myself yeah. for a moment where I'm just sitting around. Maybe I'm playing chess on my phone and thinking like, hey, you could be doing this. Mm -hmm. This would help your future. Mm -hmm. La, la, la. And then, you know, on Facebook, people are like, you are what you do with your time and shit. <laughs> and like, be productive. And like, you're, you are the five people you surround yourself with and like you know there's all these kind around, of like, there's no one yeah there's no one around what am i doing 
Exactly. So, I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of input, and、um, I guess I try to find calm in the、mm. silence and、yeah. and the, the the ancient wisdom. As my meditation teacher, shout out to Fabio, <laughs> Fabio Eco Wellness Tao Ding every Sunday five thirty、uh, Sangha Community Meditation. Yo, I love I love you, Fabio. Well, we will ask the universe to answer that question for you. What do we do when we are not doing anything?、Yeah. In some of the books that I had for for addiction, one of the one of one of the chapters that I read that was really important for me was like to learn the difference between solitude and loneliness. And a lot of the time, loneliness brings you that fear and、uh, and the stress and like the the want to do things. But knowing to live in solitude is knowing to live by yourself. And when you know how to live in solitude, then there is so many things you can do with yourself. And then life becomes, you know, just about you and like you know your thoughts and and just living, you know, and that's that's deep. That's so deep. <laughs> Hashtag deep. Hashtag deep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. One. yeah solitude, solitude versus loneliness. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the time we act out of loneliness, like we don't want to die alone, and and it brings us that fear, and we have to keep going, and we have to do all those things, and but true solitude is just you in your cave, and the cave is just that. Okay,、yeah. and the final、yeah. question we like to ask all our guests is: How would you describe Saigon in three words? Oh, I did not put any thought <laughs> into this question. I didn't. I read the whole list. I read the whole list. I did not put any thought into this. All right, Saigon.、Um, I'm going with the dusty, uh, <laughs> dusty, uh, loud, and、um, beautiful. Awesome. Yeah, dusty, loud, and beautiful.、Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love yeah. that. You can find those things <laughs> everywhere. Yes, you can. Yeah, throughout, throughout, <laughs> within. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I think so many people、thank、are gonna、you. relate to the things you've shared and learn a lot from your experience, especially in terms of the importance of slowing down and、yeah. self care, living mindfully, doing things mindfully. So, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Mm. Thank you thank both. You. Thank you very much, no, thank and、you. thank you for listening. Thank you to our listeners for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Saigon. If you liked this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts, and sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and see you next time.